Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Wealth Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson, the host of the show, and joining me in a bit will be Candice Lepage, and uh, she will join us for this week's movie review. And uh, rejoice, movie fans, uh, the long wait to return to the theater may be over soon, and uh, I hope everyone out there listening has gotten their at least one dose of their vaccine, uh, hopefully soon, if you haven't already gotten double-vaxxed. Uh, by the time you listen to this, I, I will have gotten my second vaccine. Uh, so uh, I hope you all follow my rare but sterling example. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new superhero action-adventure Black Widow, which you can now stream on Disney Plus or see in a theater near you if you are somewhere where theaters are open. And uh, to cover the first part of the show this week i know we've spent several weeks doing this these recaps of the summer movie scenes of the, of the past i thought we would do an old-fashioned news segment for this week um uh, because one of the news items is the status of, of when theater is going to open now um theaters to a degree have been open if you're talking about drive-in theaters uh and indeed the mustang drive-in here in guelph has been open the last several weeks i believe they are presently playing uh at least for the next few days until friday when they they change up the movies um but this week they were playing a horror trilogy uh i believe one of them was the new conjuring movie and another movie called the unholy and i can't remember what the third one was but You know, if you're lucky enough to be able to have access to an automobile or know someone who likes movies and has access to an automobile, you can certainly go and check out your local drive-in. But in terms of indoor theaters, um, they will be reopening. They will be allowed at 50% capacity in each theater. So when you go to like someplace like the Galaxy Guelph where it has 10 screens, um, 10 different theaters of various sizes, each theater will be allowed up to 50 um, while well, an entire building will be allowed up to a thousand patrons at a time. Now, how that works out, like if you have 10 movie theaters that can hold 200 people each, that means every theater could theoretically hold a hundred people each at a time. Of course, you do have to take staffing into account as well. So those numbers are not hard and fast. I mean, there'll be a big question just like how many people will are going to be anxious to go to the movies once theaters are reopen at any given time. And indeed, uh, there is some rumblings from uh, folks, uh, especially the big theater chain owners, about um, how kind of arbitrary the numbers seem to be. Um, Theaters were open briefly last summer. uh, And you may not remember as much grumbling about (laughs) theater capacities then, and that was by and large because there was just nothing... Uh, really open, uh, with the exception of Tenant and, well, New Mutants, which wasn't exactly a big hit. But um, there's obviously a lot more stock now. Like, we're talking about Black Widow, we're talking about F9, we're talking about The Conjuring, we're talking about um, The Final Purge. No, it's not called The Final Purge, it's called The Forever Purge. Space Jam comes out this week. 
So there's a lot more stock. There's a lot more available now that people want to be able to show in theaters. Although, you know, some of them like Black Widow, you can pay a premium price and get them on streaming. The Conjuring 2, for that matter. But, um, yeah, there's, there, there's a lot more going on in the theater. There's a lot more um, available. So exhibitors are really anxious to get people back in because they have stuff to show now, which is a completely different situation from what was last summer where they were kind of pulling stuff from the spring and, um, you know, when the theaters closed down, they still had, you know, some movies they could show that were open back in February and March, but um, when things were very limited. So, there's that bit of good news, which means we also have some bad news to cover. Um, there was a really big death in the world of film this last week. Richard Donner, uh, who was a very well-known director, maybe not, you know, one of the most popular, um, most artistic, you know, <laughs> relevant kind of directors, but I think underneath that sort of skeptical attitude, you know, I think it's hard to ignore the artistry of, of Richard Donner. Um, so I just want to highlight his work for a second here. He, I mean, like a lot of directors, he got his start on TV and he did a lot of really big shows in his time. Like, uh, I mean, shows you may not know today because this was from the 1960s predominantly, but things like uh, Have Gun, Will Travel, The Rifleman, Combat, uh, The Nurses, uh, The Man from Uncle, Gilligan's Island, he did Perry Mason, he did uh, Get Smart, he did The FBI, which I think a lot of people now mostly from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But he also did The Twilight Zone. He did six episodes of The Twilight Zone, but he did like one of the most famous episodes of The Twilight Zone, which is The Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. The famous episode, it starred William Shatner, uh, as a man who sees something on the wing of the airplane and people think he's going crazy. It, it was also remade as one of the segments in the Twilight Zone movie. I think George Miller did remade that segment and it starred John Lithgow. Um, so, you know, not, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, you know, a lot of people have borrowed it and even straight up parried it parodied it um you know the simpsons did uh the, the treehouse of horror one where bart sees the gremlin on the side of the bus but even like that scene in jurassic park where the girl looks out the window and sees the t-rex eye that's very much um i think borrowed from that episode of the twilight zone which was again richard donner um he was 91 when he died last week so he's you know had a good long life um, when he was done on TV, he traded up to the movies, obviously. in uh, He made his first film in 61, but his big breakthrough was probably in 76 when he made The Omen, um, which is uh, a well-known movie for basically about what if the Antichrist was born and he was the little boy and he was born to a highly uh, influential American diplomat. Uh, it's interesting to note that Richard Donner goes from The Omen... Um, which is about literally about the Antichrist to uh, Superman the movie, which um, <laughs> a lot of people tell you is kind of like a, the the superheroic portrayal of a of a Christ like figure of a savior come to save Earth, and it's interesting that he goes from one to the other. Um, Superman the movie, it holds up. It's it, it's it's still a really great fun movie, and. 
every Superman thing that has been made since Superman the movie over 40 years ago has kind of paid homage to it in some way. Like, whether we're talking about, I mean, just straight up Superman Returns, which was a kind of explicitly a continuation of the, the first two Superman movies, or Smallville, there were a lot of hint, you know, hints and nods to, um, to the Donner Superman movies and Smallville, including like straight up musical cues borrowing from the John Williams score, um, even Man of Steel to an extent. Like you know, the famously the farm scenes in Superman the movie were shot in Alberta, I believe. Uh, much of Man of Steel was shot in Vancouver, so there's still this kind of very Canadiana <laughs> feel in Man of Steel, and then even right up to the the current TV show Superman and Lois. There, I mean, it's still borrowing sort of musical cues, the, the very kind of earnest portrayal of Superman that that Richard Donner developed. So, whatever our modern vision of Superman is it, I mean it, you have to tip the hat to Richard Donner famously he was supposed to direct Superman 1 and 2 um, but he was cut out after much of the completion of Superman was uh, finished uh, he did he was able to go back the very first you know kind of Snyder cut <laughs> he was able to go back and finish his Superman 2 uh, create kind of like a working print um, this was around I want to say 2006 so you got the Donner cut of Superman Returns. Um, he, he would later go on to make uh, a number of popular movies. He made The Goonies. He made uh, Lethal Weapon, the four Lethal Weapon movies. He made Scrooged, um, which was the Bill Murray um, starring adaptation of A Christmas Carol. And uh, he was also one of the co-producers of Tales of the Crypt. And that was like a murderer's row of of producers and writers and directors because it was David Giller and Walter Hill of Alien fame, Robert Zemeckis of Back to the Future and Roger Rabbit fame and, and Joel Silver who um, I believe he was the one of the producers of the Lethal Weapon movie so that makes a lot of sense that him and Richard Donner would have a sort of working relationship but um, yeah, Richard Donner and to, to, to sort of put aside the movies for a minute uh, Jeff Cohen, who is one of the stars of the Goonies, he played Chunk, uh, shared a story after it was announced Richard Donner had passed away. Apparently, um, <laughs> when he lost that uh, preteen uh, cuteness, uh, Jeff Cohen had, was, was struggling for work, and Richard Donner hired him as an assistant. And uh, so that's how Jeff Cohen was sort of supplementing his waning acting income. Um, before he was going off to college. And when he went off to college, he asked for a letter of reference from Richard Donner. And uh, Richard Donner said, yes, I will write you a letter of reference. And then um, when, you know, sort of Jeff Cohen gave him an idea of sort of what to say in the letter and what the things he wanted to highlight and why he was applying to college, Richard Donner and his wife, Lauren Schumer Donner, uh, had to spit that out, sort of, sorry. But, um they ended up paying for Jeff Cohen's college out of their own pockets, which um, is one of these, like, nice stories about nice people. <laughs> you sometimes don't get that in news, um, especially these days about Hollywood people uh, that 
<laughs> you know, there there are some actually very nice people in Hollywood. Uh, what do we got for the rest of the news here? Um, I don't know if anyone out there has seen the Tomorrow War. Um, they're apparently working on a Tomorrow War Part Two that will bring back Chris Pratt and uh, Chris McKay. I haven't seen Tomorrow War yet, so I assume. Uh, it ends on a cliffhanger if they're already <laughs> making a part two, but it makes sense because um, Tomorrow War made um, well, it didn't make money, but it, it was apparently um, one of the biggest streamed movies the weekend it came out. It's it was called um, the biggest live action uh, streaming movie of the summer, which I. D- we we don't know because there is sort of no formal release of of metrics, uh, not like with box office results. Um, we can only sort of guess, and there are aggregates that sort of do very informed guessing about how well a movie's been received. Um, but it must have done well if they're already looking at Tomorrow War Two. Uh, back to our friend Zack Snyder. He's having a busy week. Um, it was announced that he's... Um, apparently, at one point, he had pitched a Star Wars movie. And uh, he's going to take that idea instead and turn it into a new original project called Rebel Moon. And it's essentially the plot of Akira Kurosawa's The Seven Samurai, which, of course, became The Magnificent Seven, which was then remade as The Magnificent Seven a few years ago. But it's essentially about uh, a space colony where uh, they are under threat from some tyrant or other, and uh, a young woman goes out and recruits warriors to protect the colony. And, uh, I mean, this... Honestly, this would have fit very, very nicely into the Star Wars um, oeuvre, because you can imagine, you know, seven samurai, seven Jedis, uh, something to that effect. It would have been really interesting to see. I... I am actually more... This is a weird space to be in, but after seeing Army of the Dead, I'm more ambivalent about Zack Snyder as an originist um, doing his own kind of original works. I I do not know how that's going to work out because a lot of the best ideas in Army of the Dead were ones he did not pursue, which is kind of weird. So, I mean, it could be interesting. I think the idea is interesting. I think I would have really liked to have seen the Star Wars version of this more. But I think Star Wars has kind of got a lot of issues of its own, and they're also preternaturally focused right now on the TV shows. Speaking of watching stuff at home, uh, it was announced Marvel and Warner Brothers are both pulling out of uh, virtual San Diego Comic-Con at home for July. Um, it could be they're going to be saving their powder for... There is going to be a live-action, in-person San Diego Comic-Con uh, later this year during the American Thanksgiving weekend, which... Um, Caught a lot of people off guard and uh, put them in an ill ill frame of mind because uh, American Thanksgiving is a big deal. It wouldn't be so much a big deal for Canadians to go down to the United States and cover Comic-Con, assuming there's that kind of fluidity cross-border because it's just another weekend for us. I mean, unless you're like Black Friday shopping or something, but who knows. Um... Let's wrap up with another death. <laughs> Robert Downey Sr., who is, of course, the father of Robert Downey Jr., he passed away. Um, he's a very prolific plur- uh, writer and director, producer, cinematographer, actor. Um, you may not know a lot of the movies that he made as a director. Um, 
a lot of them are like in the 60s and 70s. Um, most of his work in the last few years has been in acting. He was um, he was in uh, Boogie Nights and Magnolia, among other things. Uh, he was uh, in To Live and Die in L.A. Um, a lot of his movies, again, kind of aren't well-known. Ball's Bluff, uh, Touch of Greatness. Uh, sweet smell of sex. Maybe we're sensing a theme here. Um, <laughs> it, it's unfortunate that he, I don't know more about his work, but um, he has sadly passed away. And, you know, not to make light of segues, but it is a good segue, because our movie this week is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is largely dominated by the influence that Robert Downey Jr. established as Iron Man in the first Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Um, we're going to talk about Black Widow after the break. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. Just to get you, I'm doing whatever works. You ain't never met nobody. That'll do you how I do you. That'll bring you to your knees. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. We'll make you beg for it, plead for it. Till you feel like you breathe for it. Till you do any and everything for it. I want you to fiend for it. Wake up and dream for it. Till it's got you guessing forever and you leave for it. Till they have a case, gonna check on your mind and it's nothing but me. On it, on it, on it. Now it's me time, believe that. If it's yours and you want it, I want it. Promise I need that. Till I'm everywhere that you be at, I can't fall back or quit. Cause this is a fatal attraction, so I take it all or I don't want shit. You used to be thirsty for me, right. but now you wanna be set free. This is the web, web that you weave. So, baby, now rest in peace. Shall I just stay dug and cover? My plan was to drive us away. Well, your plan sucks. And that's a clip from Black Widow. It's the new film from Kate Shortland, and it stars Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, O.T. Fag Benny. Olga Kurilenko, Ray Winstone, and Rachel Fies. So now joining me via the Skype machine is Candice Lepage. Candice, how are you today? I'm doing all right. Trying to stay awake. Got my coffee. That's, you know, got my coffee and, and this talk about uh, a, a movie. <laughs> okay. It's We're all that's keeping me from my nap. <laughs> We're clearly catching you at your best. Um, so... Candice, you wanted to review Black Widow, so why don't we start by getting you to explain why you wanted to watch one of these comic book movies you claim <laughs> to despise. So I don't. So uh, I don't <laughs> despise them. Um, I dislike the DC movie universe. I've made that very clear. I think Zack Snyder's vision that he started with the the you know first Man of Steel and has unfortunately sort of 
then remained the same universe through all of the films except for Shazam and Suicide Squad, both of which, well, and I guess Harley Quinn too, all of which I really loved because they were like a totally different sort of universe, even though they were somehow in the same universe. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Marvel universe. And my problem with Marvel is that it's just so big now and there are there are no stakes now mm-hmm. it's true uh, nobody really ever expects the uh hero of the superhero movie to die so i get it <laughs> like it's not like i'm you know going in there going well obviously the hero's going to live to the end and this is terrible why why is that happening but uh this whole you know vastness of the marvel universe and how all the films are plotted out and we all know when everything's coming out and all that. It just takes away a little bit more of the why am I watching each individual film. Um, mm-hmm. However, I will say, um, so a lot of that was really, you know, through that whatever phase that was, the fourth phase or something, when they got mm-hmm. through um, uh, Endgame, in, uh, like Infinity War and Endgame. And so now we're in a new phase of Marvel. And I will be honest that the Marvel TV shows, so WandaVision and Loki primarily, Mm -hmm. have totally exceeded my expectations and have reminded me why I actually do like comic books. (laughs) I actually do like superheroes. I do like these, these stories. Um, so it's it's reinvested me. Mm. So Black Widow, I was like, okay, you know what? Let's just do it. Let me, you know, I've really liked WandaVision and Loki. Let me see what the movie universe is going to be like through this next phase. Because they are still, unlike DC, where the TV universe and the movie universe are totally separate. In this case, it's still all the same. So, yeah. So I was like, you know what? It's coming out. I'm, I also really like Black Widow. I think she long since should have had her own film. And um, I have I have been a Scarlett Johansson apologist. She <laughs> has struggled with understanding her privilege. Um, but I, I think she's coming around. <laughs> so, you know, the timing was right. I was like, how, I mean... How can we not? Like it just it just came out on Friday. Like how could we not cover it, right? So here I am mm-hmm. saying let's cover Black Widow. And maybe I'm the wrong person to do this, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh yes, the bigness is working against like the whole because this is movie 23 or 24. So it depends I mean, it, if you put the Spider-Mans in or out. Does it? Nah, whatever. Um, <laughs> well, I would consider the Spider-Mans in. They're all, they're all connected. But anyway, the regardless, we're, we're like into the mid twenties for these movies now, so it, it's carrying all that baggage, whether or not it's it intends to. Um, but on the other hand, there, in in this, there's nonstop reference to her being an Avenger, so. It's it's explicitly carrying that baggage, um, and now with the TV shows too, which are you know not only creating separate adventures for select characters, but you know 
are even bigger in a sense because you know there's six or eight episodes in in each series so um not only not only is there more but there are these in a sense even though they're on tv i think the scale is very similar they're just you know big adventures that are are, are separately going on too and it's, I feel like it's overwhelming in a sense. Like by the time we get to the end of, of this year, we will have had four movies. And I think we've had three series so far. Um, there's the, the animated series. What if that comes out next month? But then I think there's also two other series that come out later this year. So we'll have had six series and four movies. And that just feels like such an overdose. And even just, I haven't, I'm not caught up with Loki I, I watched episode one and I haven't been able to catch up since, but uh, getting to Black Widow here on like the first weekend of July or the second weekend of July, it just feels like there's been like Marvel overdose already. It just it feels like and also because of Black Widow's a character we've lived with for, for 10 years. She's been in six, seven other movies. It. it and, and and none of this is to say that Scarlett Johansson and the character weren't worthy of a story. I think you're right. This is several years too late. Um, that it, it, you know, we're kind of addressing a wrong that should have been righted seven or eight years ago. This character deserved a movie of her own long before this. But it just, there, there's kind of a, just kind of like an overdose feel. Like you were, at least for me, as like a lifelong comic book fan, you know, it's like I was taken to my favorite restaurant, told I could eat as much as I want, and now I'm full. And they're still, and we're still wheeling out trays of more of my favorite food, and I'm kind of sick of it. And I mean, and, I, and unfortunately, that's kind of colored my entire view of this film. Although there are, I think it's a fun movie, and there's stuff about it I definitely like, but it's just. And maybe it had to do with like watching it at home too, and not being able to see it in the theater yet. But it just, it's. I feel like it's a bit much and that may change as we sort of get into Shang-Chi and the Eternals later this year that kind of try and shake things up and do something different. But I, I'm, I'm seriously on the side of like Marvel skeptic now that these <laughs> movies really have to are, are really going to have to work hard to wow me from this point forward. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I think part of the problem there is. Um, and I think they also want to work hard to wow you, but mm -hmm. because they are so big and they, there's so many people who are watching, the question is, who is the audience? How, like, what mm -hmm. do you give them to wow them? So when I think back to um, a friend of mine, like, I've been going on about how great WandaVision is, how great Loki is, and uh, a friend of mine was... Um, watching and enjoyed WandaVision all right and then went on to The Falcon and the Winter Soldier which I have not watched yet because <laughs> I think people know how I feel about The Winter Soldier however <laughs> I think I will go and watch it because I have heard really good things about it mm -hmm. and I think that um, they also address some of the things that bother me the most about The Winter Soldier which is one the whole like Captain America totally fanboying over him it's just like really you're going to like destroy everything just for one person mm. okay whatever um but then also uh the whole like winter soldier as a character i'm just like oh my god you're so emo just get over it We're, we've all been traumatized everybody here has trauma <laughs> do you see the rest of them acting like this no get over it um but yeah. so anyways 
I have heard good things about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so I am going to go back and watch it. But my friend was watching it and said that he just kind of fell off of it. He's like, I don't know. It's just, it's too much character, not enough action. And I was like, that's what I want. That's what I'm really liking about the TV shows. And to Mm -hmm. me, you know, and, and I struggled with Black Widow in certain parts because I think they did a nice enough job with some of the character stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's pretend this movie came out 10 years ago. If it came out 10 years ago, I think it would have made a really big difference. But so Mm -hmm. I think character wise, they did some nice stuff, but just the, the, the fight scenes and all of this. And I think, you know, if they came out 10 years ago, they could have done better action scenes Mm -hmm. because they wouldn't have had to have these massive set pieces that, I mean, have to rival Fast and Furious, to, let's be <laughs> honest, um, but also have to rival like all these other other things, even, you know, that Black Widow herself has been part of, right? <laughs> like, right, yeah. you know, space aliens and all this sort of stuff. And so we're just getting these absolutely huge action things that are just like, n- n- no, part of the, the niceness about Black Widow, about Natasha, is that she is human and mm-hmm. and yet because of her her smarts and her her guile and all of that she's able to be part of this team of superhumans because of all these other things and instead they just turned her into a big action star like swinging from helicopters and falling off of whatever <laughs> giant things right. it was just I was like okay <laughs> I I mean I understand I'm watching a superhero film, but can we talk about physics just a little bit? Like, you know, I don't mind when I'm watching the Transformers and I'm like, I have no idea. It feels like there's no gravity where they're uh-huh. fighting right now, and I'm okay with that because it's giant like giant transport trucks turned into <laughs> robots. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I'm watching Black Widow. Like, this is a spy film. Mm-hmm. I wish it had been a little grittier with the with the fighting and the action and less superhero-y. Yeah, but it, it's it's like an internal struggle in the film, though, because, like, the two of the early action sequences, um, I'm thinking about the one where... It, ver- the, the very... Um, the Americans, the TV show, beginning, by the way, with... Yes. With, with um, young Black Widow and her family of her fake family who are spying on America um, escaping the United States. I, I like that scene had like some genuine, genuine thrills and it, it. Like it felt very like there was a lot of practical stuff going on with, um, with David Harbor, like on, on the wing <laughs> trying to shoot the gun at the police chasing them. And then later there is that uh, there's a chase through Budapest um, that I thought was, was very well done. But then by the time we get to, like some of the those action sequences in the back end where it's like, yeah, they're trying to outrun avalanches and there's a sky palace and <laughs> it's it's it it's it crosses that fine line from uh you know, where you're trying to do something kind of more down to earth, uh, more gritty, more realistic, something more akin to like a Jason Bourne or a James Bond movie and going straight back into like, like the, the the third act is very, very Marvel 
it's it's like the, the point of the film where it, it says like, oh, no, you thought this was like a different Marvel movie. No, no, no. We're making a Marvel capital M movie with this elaborate setup, uh, this, these high stakes, this stuff blowing up people, you know, fighting in the middle in, in midair and, and all that. And, and it, by the time you get to this point, it's whatever, whatever thread of humanity they were trying to circle throughout with you know, Natasha and her dealing with her background and her, her loneliness and reconnecting with her family becomes superfluous to just a, a typical big third act uh, set piece um, where, you know, you, you're kind of wondering in the back of your head how much of this is CG and how much of this is, you know, real, how much how much of it is done against green screen. And it's just, it's, it's... Uh, so it's so being yeah. there done that it and that that's a real shame because there there is real effort in the first half of the movie to kind of ground this and also like like scarlett johansson is great she's you know one of the reasons why this character works so well you know she has this natural charisma and she's very good with the fights and the like the real breakout too and i feel like <laughs> unfortunately and what what's kind of supposed to be the, the character's coda, um, Natasha as Black Widow, her kind of, this is kind of her, like, farewell to the Marvel Universe because of events in Endgame. But um, it, it it really is, she's kind of overshadowed in parts by Florence Pugh, who is so great as her her little sister, Yelena. And obviously, obviously the movie is also of a mind that we're setting up Yelena to be to fill the the vacant Black Widow role in the Marvel Universe, but I mean it's well earned because um, Florence Pugh is so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you you sort of mentioned the the timing of this film, and so I don't know I don't know how I feel about um, telling this story. Mm now and so there are a lot of there are a lot of problems i mean one black widow scarlett johansson should have had her own standalone movie within the marvel universe a long time since so there's that but the actual Mm -hmm. content of the story itself too i think um is is has a real problem with with the dates in a number of ways because you know we're sort of dealing with this yeah the um well, and it's not even the right time frame, but it would have been the sort of Cold War, uh, right. as you say, the Americans, right? When Russia <laughs> was embedding, and and other countries did it too. Let's not say it's just Russia, but Russia was embedding their spies in America as American citizens mm-hmm. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that the timeline works when I think about the ages of people. I'm like, clearly... Mm-hmm. This pre part actually happened in the nineties, maybe even the early two thousands. I don't know, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so one, there's the, the whole issue with like, where are we setting this time frame with these Russian spies? Um, mm-hmm. And then there's also the, yeah, like the obviously, and I mean, it was always going to be the this movie has to happen before end game but mm-hmm. where in there does it happen and it's set right after civil war so right after um 
the Avengers break up <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, um, the Captain America and Black Widow and um, uh, all of those people are, you know, enemies of the state, <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of this weird, it's just like, okay, so we're just going back like seven or eight years in the timeline. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah. Yeah, there's definite prequel-itis where, it, you know, in the back of your head, there's, you know, you know, you know, there's no real stakes for Natasha because she's there in um, Infinity War and Endgame. And, I mean, it, it's also, I, I've heard a lot of people go, like, say, like, saying about the finale of Infinity War where half the heroes, you know, vanish into dust. It's like, oh, it was so bold. It's like, what was bold about it? Because, like, the people that disappeared are, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy and Black Panther and Doctor Strange and yeah. Spider-Man. Like, all the people who are having, who are going to be in subsequent movies. It wasn't that bold, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, it was just like, okay, we straight up know that everybody's obviously coming back because let me list off the movies that are scheduled. Exactly. So, you know, there was kind of, Again, revisiting your comment about how there's never any real, you know, danger to the superhero character, like having the Florence Pugh character, you know, in in danger too, also kind of hit a wrong note because we're obviously setting her up to be uh, a new uh, figure in, in in this world. Although, again, she she ha- she clearly has a lot of fun, Florence Pugh, because I think she's also like. A lot of her career so far has been in like these deeply serious things like Midsommar and like Lady Macbeth and, and you know, so getting a chance to proverbial, proverbial, what am I trying to say, proverbially letting her hair down? Proverbially. Um, for, well, yes. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like, ultimately, though, it as I was saying, there is kind of this prequel-itis where you can't, um, you can't really dig into the stakes like there's this whole sequence where uh natasha is uh it's basically the scourging of of the black widows where all the various black widows team up against her um where it's it's meant to feel like there are you know she's in real danger but of course you know you realize that she's not but uh i feel like i feel like i'm being so profoundly negative about it because it's i I, i'm not actually not that negative it's a perfectly fine perfectly fun you know middle of the road marvel movie it's it's i feel like i'm trying to be nitpicky at the times during this (laughs) yeah i mean it's um it's it's a good film uh, mm-hmm. You know, if it was playing at the theater, I'm sure people would would go back and see it a number of times. Um, I, I I think it it's and I don't know I don't know why, um, but I think that it's going to, it would have ended up being the same problem that a lot of the you know Captain Marvel like it's just not going to be as big mm-hmm. at the box office. Let's say. Let's pretend, you know, <laughs> that we're not in some sort of weird pandemic. I, I see this one as not going to be as as popular as the others. And it really, it bothers me. Mm. It's, it's upsetting because the character of Black Widow deserves better than that. Scarlett mm-hmm. Johansson deserves better than that for having, you know, been essentially the B player in all these movies for so long. Mm-hmm. And 
the movie, yes, is fine. It's good. It, you know, people will enjoy it. It'll be a great popcorn flick. But it's not great. Mm-hmm. It's it's just not. It's not the type of movie that people are going to say, oh, my God, you have to go see it. It was so good. You know, it's it's dealing with really out of date political issues Um, (laughs) it tries really hard to bring in the actual just sort of human trafficking and women and and that sort of thing but yes it's not it's not done in a way that it's like it's thrown in there to try to remind you that oh not only that but let's remember that these are all you know girls and like the villain the person Mm -hmm. behind all of this does not do a good job at the creep factor whatsoever like i'm sorry to say that uh um what's his face the black mask in uh harley quinn's movie was way more gross and creepy and misogynistic yeah than this guy was like this guy was just like you're just a bureaucrat that's yeah, that's what this needed. That's what this movie really needed was like Ewan McGregor as Black Mask in, in Birds of Prey. Um, because Ray Winstone is just. I mean, the villains in these movies have not been great, but he is definitely like near the bottom of the list in terms of like villains because he's like he's vaguely bureaucratic and like like this movie really needed like Raul Julia in like street fighter level of like scenery chewing like just like i'm a bad guy with a capital b a d g u y (laughs) um and you just don't get that at all and i i mean i also feel a bit cheated by the taskmaster um part and and it has nothing to do with the gender reversal which i know is a thing because of the internet that a lot of people are pretty mad that they changed the gender of Taskmaster for some reason. But it's just, it's Taskmaster arrives when it's time for a fight and then, you know, discreetly leaves the stage until she's needed again. It, it just, it, again, it, 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 I think it kind of plays into the kind of um, low energy stakes in the movie. But yeah, like you, you've definitely hit on something. This needed someone, you know, th- th- there's definitely there's definitely some something going on with the way they dress Ray Winstone that's make you you know he's not clean shaven he's a bit unkempt your mate you know the the way he's they've kind of folded into this me too iconography into it like he's supposed to be like a Harvey Weinstein Russian bureaucrat but uh he's not there's the, the creepiness just isn't there the like the overt misogyny just isn't there and if if it wasn't there in the script and i have a feeling like it's one of these things that people producers screenwriters talked about in story meetings but just never ended up explicitly in the script and when it's not explicitly in the script you need an actor who's going to be able to conjure this up and ray winstone just isn't that actor he's good if you need someone who's like vaguely european and kind of bad like i'm thinking of indiana jones and the crystal skull right it's just if you need a double crosser ray winstone's your guy but you know in terms of like real genuine villain material he he just doesn't cut it and i don't think he was ever going to cut it here and it's funny because you and i have both talked about the um like cartoonishly 
patriarchal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, Carrie Elwes and uh, Dave Duchovny from mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Black Christmas and the Craft remakes, right? Right, And it's right, just right. like, what, like, what they were doing is actually what's necessary in this. Like, that's supposed to happen in this type of movie where we are in this loud, bright, over-exaggerated world. Mm-hmm. And and instead, they put that, like, I get it. The patriarchy <laughs> is the problem. You know, they put <laughs> yeah. that into a film that's trying to, you know, get people on. Your, it's just, it's, yeah. It's oddly placed in those films and, and totally missing from this film. Yeah. Yeah, those movies right walk right up to the line of those characters saying, I'm a man. Like, <laughs> all, that's like, that was like. That was like the cherry on top of that misogynist Sunday that they don't use. And it's just, you need that energy here because I, as you said, there are like, there's so many ideas going back and forth about like they're using the iconography of human trafficking and um, they're, they're playing with these themes of like traumatized women, women being used to, to suit the interest of, of a, of a man. There's this whole scene where he's like, I've got black widows everywhere. And you know, it's, it, it, and it just it does not feel as scuzzy and as creepy or as big as it really needs to be as it really need it really needed that energy and i don't know if i don't know if just they didn't want to go there and they didn't want to make it like that explicitly creepy but they they go halfway anyway with you know the literal literal scenes of girls being shipped around in traffic in 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 cargo containers so it's like you know I don't know why you 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 know go the speed limit, but don't you know kind of hit the gas pedal. It's 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 kind of bizarre. It was a bizarre choice that we only kind of go halfway with any of these ideas and and not like real. I mean, because I mean, at the end of what's the stakes? There's not going to be a Black Widow two or three at least, you know. So why not why not go whole hog? Why not just go for it? Yeah, and you know, I feel like it was it was. In the script, right? He mm-hmm. actually has the line um, that, uh, you know, he's he's going to achieve whatever he wants using the only resource the world has too much of. Right. Girls. Like, yeah. the line is there. He actually says it. And the delivery and everything, it just comes and goes. And it's just like, that. that's the that's the point right there what he just said and i feel like we haven't and even when it comes to and there's been a lot of talk about the whole um uh, natasha with bruce banner in uh whatever film it was and you know Mm -hmm. who's the monster now because my uterus has been removed and people are like Mm -hmm. oh you can't have children that makes you such a monster i still think that was actually the line reading as it was meant to be that she can't be a mother and that makes her a monster but you know, people have gone back and forth on that, but mm-hmm. they even, you know, talk about that and they bring it up. But in explicit detail in the yeah, one scene. <laughs> yes, it's, and it's hilarious, yeah, which is great, but it's just like, okay, that that's still not enough. Like, that doesn't really like they well, and on top of that, they turned it into not having choice, right? Women not having mm-hmm. choice over their bodies and their reproductive choices. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's like that that doesn't you you haven't really addressed the original and even right did you ever want to have kids like they're danced so close to actually going okay we're going to we're going to actually address this whole i'm a monster thing 
mm-hmm. but then they don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that that it was from Age of Ultron, and it was sort of like packaged into like a. It was kind of the end of the sort of the the fawning over Joss Whedon. So I mean, that kind of wraps into it too. Um, I always read that, and granted, I'm not a woman, so you know, take my two cents for what it is. But I always read that as um, they turned her into a monster that you know part of turning her into a monster was like using them for their ends and one of them was to take away her choices which was you know you are only ever going to be a programmable assassin for this this state apparatus so you know we're going to take away one of your choices and one of them is you know to sterilize you and um you know i think she says in that scene it's like it makes things less complicated which is also a way of saying taking away choice because choice can be complicated. But yeah, it's it is one of those things that that is kind of circling around this movie, like the whole question about like were they a family? Because you know they um, were all kind of filling up a, a role as the as a pretend family in America. You know, can you choose to accept your pretend family as an actual family and um you know how how can you reclaim choice and and ultimately at the end of the day um the way they get choice back for for these black widows is they have to be sprayed in the face with this uh chemical that that uh, undoes all the brainwashing and you know um you know the the there's there's kind of this bizarre subtext like the way to restore choice is to force a choice upon someone and again that's kind of you know, kind of left lying there as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think because like I said, because WandaVision and Loki have been so great and I understand uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier as well, they have all been really dealing with harder questions Mm -hmm. and smaller stories. And so more about character and story and about, you know, things like grief, things like, social acceptance, things like um, love and loneliness and choice. And so I'm sorry, I want that out of my movies now. And instead, <laughs> you know, they they introduced some of that and then said, but we don't have time for that because we have to put in at least 14 action set pieces. Mm-hmm. And there's a feeling of like coming down the pike too, because I remember watching the Eternals trailer and it's like, like for the first minute and 30 seconds, it feels like a Chloe Zhao movie with these like these beautiful vistas and these complex characterizations. And then the title comes up and it's like Marvel Studios presents the Eternals. And then it smash cuts to this like last scene where you have them all, all the Eternals sitting around a dinner table. So who do you think is going to be the leader of the Avengers now? I'm like, no, why did you put this in this trailer? I don't care about this. <laughs> this is the Eternals. Let the Avengers sort out their own stuff. But I mean, it's, I, I do, I am curious about whether or not Marvel can stay out of its way, own way when, um, you know, I think there's some understanding that there's probably a bit more f- creative freedom on the TV side. But at the end of the day, these movies still have to check certain boxes. And is Marvel setting up like expectations? Like, can the movies deliver the same emotional punch in the same way that the TV shows can? Or are we going to have to live in this kind of divided world where if you want emotional punch, go to the TV shows. If you want 
spectacle punch, you know, check out the movies. Can you have the best of both worlds? And I think that's going to be the big question going forward. Um, I I still, you know, people should watch the movie. It's mm-hmm. fun. Uh, mm-hmm. If you if you're looking for a big summer blockbuster, this is going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. You can watch it at a drive-in, or I I understand uh, theaters uh, are finally opening <laughs> in Ontario. Yes. Um, L- Landmark theaters are open on the 16th, but I think I don't think Cineplex has announced uh, as we're recording this. They have not announced a plan to reopen yet. So, so but they are yeah. going to reopen under Phase Three, which is on on Friday. Um, so you know, stay tuned. And Black Widow will be one of the first movies you can go check out once theaters do reopen. Yeah. And you know what? It had a reasonable um, playtime. I mean, it was still mm-hmm. over two hours, but mm-hmm. like a reasonable amount, unlike some of the other movies they've put out, which have been <laughs> way longer than two hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel like it. Like th- the movie moved along really quickly. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. fun. I just it fun. wish it yeah. had happened earlier and had just a bit more depth. Yes. And I mean, at, at the very least, we get a great um, it, it's a great launch for for Florence Pugh, who, you know, again, people may not be familiar with because she's starred in a lot of smaller movies. And, and you know, she gets a little star juice out of being the new Black Widow, which I think is is where we're going with this. Hey, that's so much the better because uh, she was one of the she was a really great part of the movie and um, expect big things. So. Mm hmm. So we bring this Pew Fest to an end. <laughs> I wanted to say Pew Fest. Yeah. Uh, Candace, if people want to uh, talk about comic book movies or give you their personal reviews of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Sin48, that's C I N N 48. And this movie has pretty much guaranteed that I am actually going to restart um, watching Alias, which <laughs> has been on my mind for. A few weeks. I think I'm just gonna go for it now. Oh, that's a that's a good rewatch until the end of season two. And well, that's all yeah. I'll, I'll say yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it, and if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean. Or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up your Spotify app and search for End Credits on CFRU to find it. And you can also find us on social media at Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I'll be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for News and Politics and Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then. Thank you.